0: Miles, we didn't expect to be sitting here today chatting. This this was not when we created the podcast. This was not in the plans to have this particular bonus episode. Would you mind sharing with the audience the name of this episode, Miles?
1: The name of this episode is Pete. And that's short for always compete, which uh, is coincidentally the motto of a man who coached the Seattle Seahawks for 14 years, the most recent 14 years, Pete Carroll. You know, I can't believe it was only one week ago, almost exactly this time one week ago, we discussed, with raw emotions, a, a very confusing, a very underwhelming, a victorious football game that the Seattle Seahawks played against the Arizona Cardinals. I was ready to settle in for a long winter's nap. I went for an invigorating walk on Monday afternoon where I listened to Pete and his usual chit chat with Mr. Brock and Mr. Salk on 710 ESPN in Seattle. He talked about getting ready to go for next year. And I was like, I don't think Pete's going to take a day off. I think he's already, hey, John, give me the draft board. Give, give me the tickets for the Combine. I'm, in, I'm ready. We're, we got momentum on this thing. I was settled in for a long winter's nap. I discovered a podcast that NFL Films put out in 2021 and 2022 with some interviews conducted by Steve Sable, some long-form interviews they dug out of the vault. I was ready to go. I was ready to talk about that with you. I didn't realize that we got no time for Steve Sable today. Boy, is that a great podcast. They didn't do it for very long. We got no time. We got no time. Pete Carroll is no longer the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. I'm stunned. And I'm also stunned that we have a little bit of a difference of opinion here. So this may splinter the podcast apart. This could be the very last episode. And the listener will know. we. The listener knows what we don't know. The listener is looking at their device right now and they see the running time. They could be seeing three hours and 30 minutes. They could be seeing... Four hours, forty-five minutes. We don't know where this journey is going to go. The listener does know. Uh, the listener could be saying fifteen minutes. This could this could end in fifteen. No, it's not going to get that fiery. But uh, truly, the listener does have a better idea of of the type of the, for the second week in a row. The highly, it's a, it's an emotional journey with Pete. He takes you on an emotional journey through a football season. What can he say?
0: the listener right now is thinking we all know this won't go 15 minutes that's like the the one thing the listener no, does know it's like these two dudes will not be able to be pithy enough to give their thoughts in, that's true I, was, I was imagining some
1: sort of you know laptop slam and then boom that's that's gonna no it's not yeah. it's not gonna be that big of a difference of opinion but um yeah.
0: It would be it would be great theater though if it if it ended up just splintering our relationship completely um it, it, it I would
1: be I would stay on as an advisor to the podcast
0: sure no and that's I mean th- that's a key piece to to be in that advisory role um well, okay, let's just start real simple. Let's just start real simple. So the announcement happened on was it Wednesday or Tuesday It was on Wednesday morning. Wednesday, Wednesday morning Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning of last week. So you and I both listened to Brock and Salk, listened to that that interview. I was I left that interview a little frustrated, to be honest. With Pete, um, really um, interesting.
1: I, I felt encouraged as
0: as I was on Sunday. What what frustrated you? What, what frustrated me was kind of, and Pete has said this a few times this year. I wish we would run it more, and I wish we would have run it more. And every time Pete says that. I think to myself, like, man, like if I'm making a lasagna for the fifth time and the fifth time, I'm like, I wish I would have added more salt at a certain point. It's like, bro, like add the salt or don't add the salt, but stop telling me what you wish you would have done. I love Pete Carroll. He's uh, first of all, uh, personally, like a very inspirational. He's a, a very inspirational person to me personally. Great sentence. Um, collegetic a sentence there um he, he in all sincerity pete's inspired me a ton of different ways and i i and i say this without hesitation um without reservation i think pete carroll has contributed to me being a better man period end of story like i really i believe that i've followed him very closely for the last 14 years um i have had this weird thing of liking um uh, press conferences, and I really liked Mike Holmgren's press conferences back in the day. I would listen to his, and I found myself loving Pete's because of the the wisdom and the knowledge he would drop, and and the way that he thinks of the world, and and kind of his his whole perspective. Um, I found him extremely inspiring, and so um, I say everything I say with, is with a lot of um, uh, a lot of respect to a man who I think is a really good guy. And a great leader and an innovative leader, um, and a great football mind, by the way, as well. Which people I don't think give Pete enough credit for the football mind that he really is. It's I think easy when someone has a fun personality to be like, "Well, you're not a jerk and boring, so you can't be smart." It's like, "Oh no, you know, there's there's smart people that also have like a engaging personality." It, it's unusual to be smart and have an engaging personality, but I think. Our knee jerk as a society is like, oh, you're not a complete um, socially awkward jerk. So you must not be that smart. I think it's kind of our you're not Bill Belichick. So, yeah, we can't imagine you having a brain in there if you can smile at the same time and and do math also. Um, So all that to say. I say that just to lay the foundation. I love Pete. I think he's. I think he's been the best, most important thing, not only for the Seahawks but for all of Seattle sports. I really, I be, I believe that to my core. Um, Salk has brought up a few times, and I could not agree with him more. The biggest thing that Pete did for the Northwest, from a sports perspective was he changed the way that we presented ourselves. He changed the way that we thought of ourselves as fans and the way that we thought of ourselves as a team. Um, I've been a Seattle sports fan my entire life, and it's always been a ho-hum, small market. We're lucky to be here. I hope we can win a couple of games. And during the height of Pete Carroll and his team, we were the baddest dude on the block, and we told everyone we were. And we said, You come to my neighborhood, and I'm gonna beat you up. And they said, Well, we're bringing baseball bats, and we'd say, well, We don't care, we're gonna beat you up. And that's what the Seahawks did. They were brash, they were overboard. And I think, um, I think, and in, in a real way, Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas and all of those guys through Pete taught us how to have a persona of we're one of the elites, we're one of the blue bloods and and we're not we're not too humble to not say it. I mean, I really think they changed the way that Seattle sports fans thought about themselves. Um, and I don't think that's any small feat because we kind of had you know spo- imposter uh, imposter syndrome forever. And so I I say it with a lot with a lot of respect to him. All of that, I know I'm rambling, I'm sorry. All of that, though. We need
1: this. This is this. Uh, keep keep. This going. Keep it flowing. We need we need this because you have to talk about the decades here. Keep on going.
0: Well, I, I, I say all of that to go back to the point of when I hear Pete, who is been in charge not only as head coach but head of football operations for the last fourteen years, and when I hear him say, "The man who oversees the drafting with John Schneider, certainly, but like." He certainly has a big voice in who they draft. He certainly has a big voice in who they sign in free agency. And he is the guy who is hiring assistants and hiring defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators. When Pete says, ah, shucks, I wish we ran it more. And like, and we lost our edge and we lost our identity. It's like, like, if I was Jody, I wouldn't really know what to do with that either. I'd be like, okay, you've bought all the groceries. You have hired all the sous chefs. You have set the menu. You arranged the dining room. Like, you're in charge of everything here, man. And you're telling me, like, you're really frustrated that our French bread just doesn't taste that good. It's like, well, I mean, you know, like, this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. So, I don't quite know how to take it when Pete says, like, I wish we ran the ball better. And, like, we lost our edge. We lost our identity. Like, I, I think that is a, li- a little damning, like a little self inflicted. You know, I don't know if that makes sense to you. I like I hear that and it, it's confusing. I
1: could. It, it's a great point, and I was so um, on my invigorating Monday afternoon walk while listening to the show. I have to admit, I don't remember these parts. I trust you that they were there. I was so taken with his energy for the next year. You're you're completely right. It is it is an own goal, if you will. But, it, it it absolutely is, but would you say then that, one, did you expect this decision from the Seahawks, and two, were you
0: relieved when it happened? That's a good question, so... Really putting one, you on the spot here. <laughs> one one, did I expect it? No, I did not expect it. I was surprised on Wednesday. I heard Salk say like he wasn't super surprised. I was absolutely oh, wow. surprised. Yeah. I, I was shocked when he when Salk said that. I was absolutely surprised um when it happened. It was a uh, mind blowing to me. Um, what was your second question? I so first question surprised or not, yes, I was surprised.
1: Are, are you, what, what? what's the, I asked if you were relieved or not, but I guess what, what's your primary emotion uh, now that it has happened? And then um, I'll share mine.
0: I can share with you what I texted to my two good friends that are Seattle fans for as long or longer than I've been. I texted, I'm bummed, but I also understand. And that's exactly how I feel. I'm bummed about it, but I but I understand the decision.
1: So you, okay, so here's, so here's, all right, (laughs) we're nearing that 15 minute mark, so look out, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's interesting because you have a longer history with Pete, for sure, Just, just if we look at the press conference minutes consumed. Sure. So I'm surprised to find that I was completely devastated by this on Wednesday. I spent my day furiously in little dead moments looking up. Um, a number of statistical facts about his career that I'm very excited to share with you shortly. And then uh, I guess I thought my opinion would change by now. We kind of knew we wouldn't be able to get in here for a few days. And I know it was tough for the entire Seattle fan base to go nearly a week without a single podcast published Man. about Pete Carroll. And as the world's only Seahawks podcast, they we, just... we, needed, we wanted we wanted the opinions to marinate slow but, slow cook these opinions and so now finally Seahawks fans out there can have a podcast to listen to about uh this the dismissal of Pete Carroll they've been sitting um, in
0: the dark just waiting for this like i mean it is crazy to think about the uh the power outage that they've gone through their pipes are frozen there it would have been quicker
1: if we had a gutenberg press and yeah. kind of created a newspaper in that way and with all the technology at our disposal we're we still Put a delay on it. I feel here.
0: Here is something. So this is. So wait. So may, should I ask you the same questions? Should I give you the same? Let me ask you the exact yeah, same yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah. Miles,
1: can you? <laughs> if you if you can remember them, I'm impressed. So here, it's it's like I'm being asked them for the first time.
0: First, were you surprised? Let's just start with question one. Were you surprised on Wednesday?
1: Absolutely. Couldn't believe it. Had I had I I didn't think it was real.
0: And what was the emotion that you felt on Wednesday? Let's keep it just Wednesday. Like no, it's a, no, it's marination. amazing.
1: I still feel the same that I did on Wednesday. I feel, I feel a sense of, I feel like, um, <laughs> I guess I feel a strong sense of like justice about the chapters of football history, and I feel that there's like a great injustice that Pete was not. I think Pete. With his resume, which we're gonna get into, which astonished me, what I was able to dig up, even respecting the man as much as I did, his place in the stat book of NFL head coaches all time is a lot stronger than I thought it would be when I was first uh, upset about this. So I I, I feel a sense I feel that Pete has earned Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick. It's very rare when you've been in one city for so long. I do feel like you earn the right to determine your exit. And I, I guess I feel very frustrated that that's and, and surprised, equally surprised and frustrated that Pete was not given that chance. And as we've been putting out these uh, opinions each week about the Seattle Seahawks, so kind of my first time really uh, having to formulate an opinion each week about, about the NFL season. I've, I've come to the conclusion that it's not really an opinion to say they need to get rid of this guy. Whether that's a coach or a player, that's not quite it. I think in order to have an opinion, because that's just complaining, you need to say, hey, we need to replace this, whether it's a player or a coach, I think we should replace this guy with this specific other guy because that would be an improvement. And I, and that's what I'm puzzled about here because we have seen, um, I think on Thursday was when Bill Be- it was announced that Bill Belichick and the Patriots yep. were mutually parting ways. All right, so that happened later. Patriots already have their next guy in place in Gerard Mayo. He's already there. He's already the head coach. He's probably already working on it.
0: Did, did it, you see, by the way, that's, that was built into his contract, Mayo's? No. I was blown away by it. So his contract, so whenever he signed it, let's call it a year ago, two years ago, whenever Gerard Mayo signed his contract, built into it was when it's time for Bill to step down or whatever. Like when Bill stops being the head coach, you are our next head coach. So so they had a transition plan to Mayo. You know, I, I it would actually be kind of cool to look up when he signed that contract, but let's call it two years ago. They had a transition plan designed and that it makes it even kind of cooler because obviously Bill knew about that because Bill would have been a part of signing that contract. And so if you think about it, like over the last couple of years, there's probably a lot of times when Bill did a little extra like, all right, hey, come here. So the reason why I'm doing this this way and the reason why I'm going to talk to this guy this way is because um, you know, X, Y, and Z. And this is how I'm thinking about as the head coach. So, you know, take a quick note. Like if you, he's probably been kind of doing stuff like that. In fact, I feel like I just did a pretty good Bill Belichick impression without trying to, um, just kind of talk a little quieter and, uh, uh, let, let my voice kind of, um, uh, be a little rougher, I, I guess. I don't know. And, um, just didn't really care about any intonation. Just, um, uh, you know, kind of talk to you. Like, I don't really care if you understand anything I'm saying or not. Just bill belichick i feel like that's what's well, not terrible i mean you I'm, I'm, a, I'm
1: astonished how good it is actually and i i think i wonder if that's how he's able to work so long and hard because think about how much like extra energy much extra energy per minute i'm putting into talking the way i'm talking now if you just totally cut it out yeah like he maybe. Does, but maybe that's how you can just grind tape for uh, 50 straight years.
0: you're not wasting energy on on theatrics yeah that there's probably something to be said for that <laughs> anyway sorry you were making a point so well, i was saying I, I didn't know
1: that about i didn't know that part of his contract but you did you hear about his new sponsor no he's going to be gerard miracle whip now that he's the head coach
0: just change that name instantly
1: uh, <laughs> great, great joke. Um, I that forgot joke. what I was talking about, I was so invested in getting that one out there uh, to the people. <laughs> that that's, joke... the, that's the type of Seahawks analysis that of course you know you can count on um...
0: <laughs> sandwich spread analysis. I did see.
1: Oh, oh. <laughs> you go for it. I, I
0: remember that. I'm, I'm going to take us off t- topic completely. I just saw that um, this is NBA news that uh, Ball, is it like LaMelo Ball, one of the dumb Ball brothers? Um, he has like a tattoo on his neck that is LF, which apparently is like LaFriends or something like that. And that's um, his middle name. But it's also the name of like a French brand. And he literally has like not just the initials LF, but like the logo of this brand on his neck. And um, and so the league like told him he has to cover it up like you can't you can't have a logo like you can't have another company logo on your body while you're playing basketball games. And just recently the league decided for some reason to allow him to. But the argument from his camp is the sort of argument that is the destruction of all Western civilization. Which is, oh yeah, well, LF is my middle initials, and it's a family name, so uh, it's fine. Like without at all um, talking about that, the LF that he specifically has on his neck is the exact logo of this company, and he's a sponsor of the company, or the comp- the company like sponsors him. He he is a paid. He's paid by this French company and Adrian Wojnarowski wrote a terrible article on it that didn't at all describe like the, the root issue. And if Adrian's listening I'd just say bro, reread your article and just like try to be a journalist. So that's the, that's it. That's it. And, and by the way, Journalists, that's why you're all losing your jobs because you're not actually yeah. doing them, and because everyone can do what you're doing. There's like two dudes that are actually good writers in the entire country. There it is. Sorry.
1: Um. Well, it seems like then you've forgotten my legal dispute with the NBA when I was trying to make the league and my Ray and nephew Jamaican white rum, uh, tattoo. Yeah, I mean, it's look. one of the only W R A Ys out there. So I, of course I. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right on my bicep if you can see our video feed right now. Sure, it's a must.
0: Think- I'm sorry that that's how far down the track I was going to take us. So my apologies. Can I'm you remember take us where you're back going? Off that
1: yeah. track and back to the Seahawks. So get, so get us back. So Gerard
0: Miracle Whip,
1: Gerard Mayo is in charge of the Patriots almost immediately, and there was a succession plan in place that is honestly very unique in NFL. That may have never happened in NFL history before. It's pretty neat. To have yep. such a long-term succession plan. I have I have been checking. I've been unable to bring myself to listen to his farewell press conference or his farewell show with Brock and Saul, because I'm still that talking about it. Uh, but um, what I have been doing is checking profootballrumors.com because that site is very on top of the interview scene because there's so many head coach positions and coordinator positions, interviews happening. We haven't really heard anything about the Seahawks. There's no concrete list of names. So, all right, Pete had some issues. He, he's he's not a perfect coach, okay. But in order to to end it for him, when he did not want to end it, which I believe he he deserved that that call. I think you need to have at least one name. And in fairness to the Seahawks, out of all the head coaching positions that are open this this winter, and there are many. I think the Seahawks are by far the most appealing option.
0: Yep, agreed. You
1: could maybe say the Chargers because of the quarterback scenario, but...
0: But not really, because, I would argue against that. I think the I mean, Seahawks,
1: holistically, yeah, because of the, the institutional success that's in place and a lot of things, I think it is the number one most appealing job. So the Seahawks should be able to get the candidate they want. But there's no name... It, there wasn't this immediate, like... We're letting go of Pete because we think this man, exactly this guy, is, is going to be a distinct improvement. So, the fact that we haven't heard a list of inter- of interview requests or anything like that so far, several days later. It, it just kind of feels like a, a complaint without a goal. That like, ah, oh, Pete's not doing as well as he once did. Which, I think is true. But, is there a better person to coach the 2024 Seahawks? I... There, It could work out, which we'll, we'll talk about who that could be. It could work out, but I think it's hard to say that it definitely will work out, that there will definitely be a better coach of the 2024 Seahawks. I also felt a little – I'm becoming more upset about this advisor thing, Pete being named as an advisor. The man is so full of energy. I, there has to be a real plan for him to be it, – it, it feels it feels awkward, it feels like they didn't want to hurt his feelings, and and I say, if you felt he was no longer able to coach the Seahawks very well, then why do you want his advice? It, it feels like sitting on the on the fence to me, where it's like, well, if he's good enough to give you advice, I think he's also good enough to continue coaching the Seahawks as he's done for the last fourteen years. It felt like a very indecisive middle ground to say, like, well, we still want you around, but like, so and and, and that that additionally felt like a, a kind of dis I know it's not intended to be disrespectful because the, because, but it felt very messy to me instead of the cleanliness of like, we're moving on. Sorry. Like, I I think I know that that's how the NFL works in a cruel way like that. And we've got this day called black Monday where that Mm. happens, but That might be why it happens because it's like it has to be clean and the schedules come in for next year, whatever you do. So you just kind of have to move on.
0: Yeah. I, it's funny. I disagree with that as well in that to me, it just feels like some sort of an olive branch that they're like, they know it's really hard. They know it's a really tough decision to make. They weren't going to back down off of the decision. So Pete specifically said, during his press conference, I competed like crazy to keep this job. He's like, I wanted to keep being the head coach. He's like, just so y'all know. Like, he was very, um, uh, very specific about that because I think he wanted everyone to know, like, this truly wasn't my decision. Um, But I I think it was Jody's way, the organization's way of at least having a mea copa of like, hey, we we do think you're great. We do respect the fact that you've even the press conference or the press release that she you know it's like what the best coach in in Seahawks history. You brought us to Super Bowl. Like l- listed out the resume of like this is how great you are. Um, but you know it's time to move on. Um, so yeah, I, it's funny. I disagree with that too a little bit. I I think that I think it was a, at least a nice gesture. I agree with you. It's a hollow gesture. Like I not, I'm not saying that it is of any substance really whatsoever. Um, the way that Pete described it is that he's there to support Johnny quote, quote, I'm just there to support Johnny. So like the idea that I think he's going to continue to, to support John, but then he took it a step further. And this is the beauty of Pete Carroll, by the way, he took it a step further. He was like, but I mean, no matter what, I would do that. So, um, you know, I don't quite know. He's like, so he kind of backed off of the advisor thing a little bit in that, He's he basically not basically he said, like, if John calls me and wants advice on something, I'm going to help John any way I can because I love John Schneider. So, you know, there it is, which I have a couple of good stories, by the way. Have you on Twitter, on X, whatever, have you seen? you know, I'm sure you have like some of the players and different players basically just thanking Pete Carroll. Um, there's a couple that I want to mention that I think speak to why he's so loved and respected and why players come from all over the place to have dinner with him the night of this news. Like I, I think if, if you want to talk about being a successful person, like if you want to talk about being successful in your industry or amongst your friends, the idea that the day that you're fired, that there's like 25, 30 friends that all say, let's celebrate you and get dinner with you tonight and support you and love you and tell you how much we love you. Cause you loved us. Like, I don't know if there's a better gauge of success than like Pete Carroll show. Like it's incredible.
1: It sounds like a great leader of men who would be a great head coach of a football
0: team. (laughs) It really does. No, it really does. Um, So I think there's an interesting interplay though. I don't know how much John Schneider had to do with the decision. You know, I I have heard over and over again, this was Jody's decision, like a hundred percent. But I also can see her being a good business leader, being like, hey, if John has something to do with this, that that can be a little awkward for him. I can be the bad guy. I can take all the bullets. I would love to know in truth and reality, if there was a moment when John Schneider was like, man, I freaking love Pete so much. I respect him so much. I think he is a good head coach. But I think that the time here is over. Like how do like what do I do? And Jody saying, like, I got it. Like, I'll take care of it. It's like, it's not your job. It's my job to fire. And like, I'll take all of the bullets. I just wonder. And I <clears throat> I have no idea the answer to that. We'll probably never know the answer to that. If this, it would kind of freak me out, frankly, if this blindsided John Schneider. Like, if this was a blindside to him, and on Wednesday, he was as shocked or similarly shocked as we were, That kind of freaks me out more. I would rather be in a reality where like a couple of weeks ago, John and Jody were having conversations and John had a very good sense like, hey, this could happen. And this is kind of why we think philosophically it should happen. John has somewhat agreement and is doing the preparation for 2024 a while ago. You know, like I I just hate the idea. If this blindsided him, that freaks me out as a fan a little bit.
1: Well, okay, so I guess my next point would also go under the unknowables from the outside. So let me know how how this strikes you. It it occurred to me, I've got a list of five players here, five members of the Seahawks. Devin Witherspoon, in no particular order. Devin Witherspoon, Boye Mafe, Charles Cross, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and honestly, Michael Dixon. I was thinking, with the news of Pete being gone, it's possible that 2024 becomes a, a rebuilding year. And I think those are the only five guys in the building, including all the coaches, who have hmm. to think, I'm going to be back here next year no matter what. I think for everybody else, even Julian Love, who just made the Pro Bowl, if the team decides to rebuild, it, it's such an inexpensive contract for him next year. If they, wa- they want to rebuild, I think they would trade Julian Love, like almost first thing. Uh, because he, he's so inexpensive for next year, and then he'll be a free agent. If they want to rebuild, it, you know, either extend him or, you know. So obviously there's going to be more than five players who hold over, but it seemed to me that this would be very destabilizing for everybody else in the building, including Gino, including DK, including Tyler, you know. Um, and I, I guess I wanted to see something from John and or Jody that was kind of announcing what was going to happen, just in terms of, hey, is this like, are we going for the playoffs in 2024, or is it because this is a new chapter, we're going to kind of intentionally take a step back? Um, I guess I wanted to, it felt like the, in addition to not really having a list of coaches, I just am wondering, I, I think the the, at least the, and maybe the players have been told the plan behind the scenes, but it seems like, it seems very hard to decipher the plan in terms of like, at this point, it, it, they really could be a rebuilding team next year, or not. And I, I can see it going successfully either way. I don't, it it doesn't feel like there was much of a plan beyond like, I don't, I don't like this guy anymore.
0: Yeah, it, I, again, you started that, um that statement by saying like, this is the stuff we don't know, you know, and and there's just no way we could possibly know that. Um, it is, I mean, ultimately it it is a massive bummer. I, my, my emotion is very in my mind kind of clean and it makes sense that it's like a lot in a lot of ways I feel like my dad just lost, you know, a good job and it's like, it's hard to, it's it's hard to kind of separate the emotion of how good of a duty is and how good of a leader he is and how good of a football mind he is with the fact that, you know, is he losing a little bit of a step? Is he getting just older, you know, and and is it getting harder for him to, to do the job, even though Pete has a ton of energy and whatnot? Um, you know, he is still a, a, an older gentleman. I mean, for goodness sake, he's not a member of com- uh, Congress. He can't, He can't just keep doing the job forever like those titans um, of physical endurance. You know, he's not he's in no way in as good of shape as as Mitch or Nancy. Those those two just physically would run circles around Pete. They would I mean, they're they're at the peak of their game this just turned into a political podcast and we're going to tell everyone exactly how we feel about politics. No, we're not. I just wanted to make that joke. Cause I've, I've seen that joke on Twitter. Like Pete's like 20 years from retiring. If he's a member of Cong- Congress, which I think is, is pretty, I think is a really funny take. <laughs> That's a take that we can all laugh at no matter what side of the aisle you, you happen to sit.
1: Um, can I hit you with some stats about Pete's career that even astonished me? so this, this, this would be uh, as a lawyer building my case of this is a man who has earned the right to call his shot
0: when he wants, when he wants to leave. Give us some stats. Give us some resume.
1: this This is a cavalcade, so I, uh, I don't apologize, actually. I, I was astonished by what I saw.: All right, so we mentioned Pete being the best coach in Seahawks history. it's It's way beyond that. Pete is the vast majority of Seahawks history. So there have been forty-six complete season, Sorry, 48 complete seasons of Seahawks football, and it's been a pleasure to podcast throughout each of them with you. Um, there were 34 seasons before Pete was the head coach. 34 in the before Pete era. We had 15 winning years, only five years of 10-plus wins, so a lot of nine win seasons in there, and nine total playoff wins. 14 years with Pete, he matches or busts all of those. 11 winning years out of 14, so that's almost matching the 15 previously. Eight seasons of 10-plus wins, so blows that way out of the water. And 10 total playoff wins. So the rest of the Seahawks history had a a 20-year head start on him, and he still caught up with everybody. Final record, 137-89-1. Wow. Wasn't that that Cardinals tie (laughs) is the one?
0: Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, for sure.
1: So, okay, Pete's place in Seahawks history is firmly established. What? Well, let's go to NFL history now. His place in the all-time coaching record books. We're gonna kind of, I'm, tr- I'm gonna turn the heat up as I go here. So, Pete is tied with all people, uh, with Mike Holmgren, for 22nd among all-time coaches in the number of career games above 500. So he's one, uh, including his Patriots and Jet stats. He's 170 and 120. 50 games above 500. That's 22nd of all time. All time. Going back. Lombardi. Going back to all of it. He is 15th all time in wins with 170. Going to turn up the heat a little bit more. Number of years in the playoffs. He has 12 career playoff appearances. That is tied for 7th of all time. He's tied with Bud Grant, his old guy from the Vikings, and Mike Holmgren. Here's who's higher than Pete Carroll on the number of total years in the playoffs. Marty Schottenheimer, <laughs> uh, Don Shula, Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, Tom Landry, and Paul Brown. Those are the only ones that have more playoff appearances than than Pete Carroll. So we got Schottenheimer. All doesn't quite fit in there. No Super Bowls. But Shula, Belichick, Reid, Landry, Paul Brown. All-time coaches. There are four coaches in history who have won both the college and professional championships. And uh, two of them have some pretty major asterisks um, as I looked into it. So one of them was Paul Brown, uh, the one man who has a football team named after him. Uh, so <laughs> Paul Brown led the 1942 Ohio State Buckeyes to the national championship. Here's the asterisk. It was wartime, so it wasn't like a full... They went 9-1, and one, and they didn't play in a bowl game. They, only, they just finished first in a poll at the end of the year. So they were... They're kind of the the champions on paper. Uh, they did not play in a bowl game to solidify that, and they only, they went nine and one. That's that's barely a season. So my apologies to the members of the 1942 Ohio State Buckeyes. Not not really a national champion. Number two, we got Barry Switzer. So he was definitely a great college coach. Three titles with Oklahoma. He has the great fortune of taking over the Dallas Cowboys in 1994, immediately after they win two Super Bowls because Jimmy Johnson retired. So uh, I think he's. <laughs> has to be the only coach in NFL history to to get his first NFL job taking over a team that had just won two consecutive Super Bowls. He wins the Super Bowl in 1995. By 1997, Barry Switzer goes six and ten. He has a team with Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, Michael Irvin, and Deion Sanders. Goes goes six and ten. A couple years after winning the Super Bowl, got it. Okay, so we got Pete has done it for real, and also the other one man who's done it without any sort of asterisk is Jimmy Johnson himself. He won with the 1987 Miami Hurricanes and then goes, wins the Super Bowl with Dallas in 92 and 93. So really, it's just Pete and Jimmy Johnson have done it college and NFL. Nick Saban couldn't get into the NFL playoffs, okay? I mean, talk about an all-time great, couldn't get into the NFL playoffs. Pete Carroll and Jimmy Johnson, the only two men to win championships in each. Last little nugget here. So he, there are only 20 coaches in history who have gone 18 plus years, like Pete Carroll has as, as the head man. So he's done 18 years. He's kind of on the low end of that 20, but the top 20 most experienced in years. Out of those 18 years, his worst record at any season is six and 10. This is his very first year as the head coach, the one year gig with the Jets back in 1994. That's his worst record. So, I went through the other nineteen mega experienced coaches, and I said, "Is there anybody else who also never has a season worse than six and ten? Like there's no five and eleven, there's no four and twelve, and there is only one other man. It is Don Shula so and Don Shula uh Pete Carroll makes the playoffs more often than Don Shula, and they each have one Super Bowl, even though Shula has the most years of anybody in the Super Bowl era as a head coach so Jimmy Johnson, Don Shula, we're really close to to Belichick, Landry, and Paul Brown. His only comparison, like, we're, we're not coming up on, a, a, aside from Reed and Belichick, we're not coming up on other contemporary names. We're not talking about Tomlin or or Peyton or... It, it's 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 a surprisingly high place in football history. And I wonder if...
0: He's in a different hemisphere is what I'm hearing Then basically all but two or three other dudes in NFL history.
1: I mean, look, that, that top tier, the guys who have made the playoffs more, Belichick, Reed, Landry, Paul Brown, I feel comfortable saying that they are in a tier above Pete Carroll. Okay. but I think Pete Carroll is solidly in the second tier of all-time great coaches. You consider <laughs> the work with USC as well. Um, it's just a lot better than I thought. And I kind of wonder... Uh, I kind of wonder if there's a West Coast bias thing happening here because he didn't do great in New York and New England. The success all happens in USC and then this remote football outpost in Seattle. I I just wonder if even his own bosses, his own owners have underrated his, uh, just don't see his effectiveness because he doesn't try to prove himself as a football genius. You know, he's, he's kind of comfortable taking the hits of like, Okay, not analytically up to speed or the defense is such a simple scheme or something like that. He'll just take that. He doesn't really care. He, he cares about protecting his team through the media, not protecting himself through the media. So he'll just take that. So Pico's been fired three times now. His records in those three seasons were 6-10, and 8-8, eight and 9-8. Eight, and, nine and eight. Those aren't those aren't very bad records. And after he went six and ten with the Jets, he got fired. They went three and thirteen and one and fifteen the next two years.
0: So, so it really it, fixed it, fixed the problem right yeah, there.
1: Yeah. So I mean, now he does have the misfortune. The second time he got fired, he did he did happen to get replaced by the greatest coach of all time with Bill Belichick. So so that
0: <laughs> it's you know it, it's crazy because it goes back to the phrase like don't get tired of winning you know and that happens to organizations like the Seahawks where you've had such success and and your sites get so high it's easy to get tired of winning because you're just oh yeah it has to be this next thing um I, I, man i think some of those stats are just it's unbelievable to think about um and and i i really do think that you nail it when you say like he's so willing to and willing actually isn't the right word. He actively is looking to give credit to other people constantly i can't even I can't even imagine how many times I've heard Pete talk about how good of a job John Schneider's doing and how important like what John does and oh no, that's John that's his department that's him doing that and how good his offensive coordinator and his defensive coordinator and how generational his players are um. And I mean, again, the guy that I've I've liked to um, complain about the most, contrast that with a Sean Payton, it's as different as you can get. Um, and contrast that with an Urban Meyer, right? Contrast that with so many different coaches in football history that have been me guys, that have been, yeah, let's see how I can get credit. How can I be perceived as a genius? Pete is egoless. He really is. I mean, egoless is the only way to describe what he is. And I heard someone say that that was his downfall this week. I heard someone say like, yeah, I mean, really the downfall of Pete is that people don't appreciate. And then I I think about, I was like, okay, wait, hold on, hold on, wait, 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 14 years, head coach of this team for the last 14 years, has won a Super Bowl, been to the playoffs most of the time, um, is beloved by his current and former players, um, is a 72-year-old guy that can fill a room full of young, like, 20 and 30-something-year-olds because they want to spend time with him because they think he's so awesome and great. Twitter is full of people texting in, like, man, you know, this is my Pete Carroll story, how much I love this guy. The word downfall is, like, one of the dumbest things you could say. Like, yes, it It ended there is no downfall to being Pete Carroll. Like, I guess my point being there is no downfall to being egoless mission accomplished, like being egoless and, and putting other people ahead of yourself and being able to give away credit mission accomplished. Like the philosophy has worked for Pete, you know, like, Oh man, Pete's Pete was too selfless. That really screwed up his life. Like, (laughs) like there's his downfall. He's had a bad life. No, Pete, has a great philosophy of putting people in front of him and and being willing to give away praise, and that that philosophy has served him really well. So I just wanted to say that out loud. Like I've heard some people say he, his quote unquote downfall. It's a dumb take. Like it's a dumb take based off of everything you just said. Here's this guy's resume. He's the one of the most successful, celebrated coaches in NFL history. It just happens to be that some idiots from from Connecticut and from you know, ESPN, they're headquartered in Connecticut. I don't remember because they're yes, less the relevant membership. by the day. OK, um, the the former mothership now just being replaced by idiots that can podcast whenever they want. Um, the former mothership, a, a place where we used to go for sports until they decided not to really cover sports anymore. That place is becoming less and less relevant. And yeah, like. You're right. I think you're totally right. I think there is an East Coast bias, but, you know, who cares? Okay,
1: here's my point with all that. So the comparisons to, you know, Holmgren, uh, Johnson, Shula, you're really going to tell me after a, a winning season, a winning season, that you know that there's somebody better. Better. They have to be better. Or else there's no reason, there's no real reason to make the change that they're going to be better next year. And here's a little slight, a little moment that has started to gnaw on me. There was a seemingly meaningless game in the middle of the football year where the Rams had to start Brett Rippian. I think that's his name. Rippin, I think. Rippin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In a game in Green Bay against the Packers, the Packers take it very easily. And then the Packers are. Ready to go for the play. If that if Stafford is healthy for that game, the Rams could easily beat the Packers. And there's no, there's none of this. the The Seahawks could have glided into the playoffs, even even stumbling and fumbling as they did. And then this whole thing is different. So, do you really want to change to to again add this level of potential instability and change for everybody currently in the org- organization? Because Brett Rippian started that game against the Packers, like it, it, it just feels like a big overreaction to me, and I guess I guess the reason I'm still steamed up about it a few days later is I thought I was like, by Thursday, I was like, okay, well this will we're going to hear who's coming in. Yeah. And I got, I got some great ideas. I got some great ideas, by the way. Um, there are some coaches who, who I would be excited to see. But it's it I still can't even say that I know they will be better. You know, that it, it, it yeah. happens in the NFL. Things seasons go really poorly, and you know that almost you know that a lot of people could be better, but that's not what happened to the twenty twenty-three Seahawks.
0: Yeah, no, I I think it's a good way to measure it. Do you have a better plan, right? Hey, it's not good enough to say this isn't any good. OK, so so what do you want? And if you don't know what you want, then then maybe you're in a, a dumb or a bad spot. At least you should have a short list. I really hope they do. Um, <clears throat> and I've thought about that. So um, can I give some like recent up to the minute news right now? It, now? This has nothing to do. No announcement was made. Let me just your the look on your face. You got excited. Here's the up to the minute news. So
1: LaMelo Ball has got a new <laughs> freaking, tattoo.
0: Freaking LaMelo Ball I'm not I can't even go there. I' Jared Mayo is filming a assembly commercial as we speak. Gerard Mayo is a guy we can actually respect. i i i have I have issues with with the ball family in general. um here's here's uh, here's the up to the minute news. It is currently on Sunday, the fourteenth of January. it is three zero nine p m. And we are at halftime of the Green Bay Packers Dallas game. Is it? Do you mind if I tell you the score of the game right now?
1: Go ahead. Again, the listener will know something we don't.
0: Yeah, the 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 listener will know this already. Let me just let me. May I hit refresh? Okay, I'm glad I did because it changed just a little bit. So I'm glad I hit refresh. At halftime, it is 27 to seven Green Bay. The Dallas uh, defense has given up three touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, and one throwing touchdown. so 21 points to Green Bay in the first half. One of the main candidates to replace Pete Carroll is Dan Quinn, who is currently in a locker room trying to figure out how do we stop the Green Bay Packers offense? They're running it and throwing it all over the place. We suck right now. I put myself on mute. Oh man, what now that is bad radio, folks. Um, I my space bar is right in front of my microphone and I just randomly hit it. Luckily, um, I
1: can't believe the quality of ESPN these days, it's shameful. It's shameful. I, um,
0: <laughs> we have no sponsors though. If we had a sponsor, there'd be someone that was guarding my space bar so I couldn't hit it. Um, man, we're gonna lose all of our listeners right there. It'll just be dead. I think
1: both of our listeners, yeah, they were, yeah, we both might have of lost our
0: moms up. will stop listening right at that point because they'll be like, "Well, it seems like the podcast is over." Um, talk about some how self- are there
1: four more hours on this runtime though?
0: Self sabotage, right there. That's that's incredible. Um, no, but my, my point being, Dan Quinn is now, you know, he's the guy. He's one of the main front runners, and obviously. It's not as though he's an automatic fix, right? Like, oh, well, Dan Quinn, look at his defense. He'll be perfect. He's also human, right? Like his defense also makes mistakes. So it's kind of, it's just a funny thing to think about. Like the main guy right now is kind of getting boat raced. Like the main defensive coordinator who could be our next head coach is kind of getting boat raced. As we speak
1: Uh, again, what of that Brett Rippian game? I mean, the Packers obviously have turned it on in December more than any other team in the NFL, but it's like it almost was too late for them. Uh, I had another thought about about Pete Carroll being dismissed that had to do with. You pointed out what an insane take this was, and you're both correct, and I feel more convicted in it by the hour. It has to do with the Portland Trailblazers, a team that is also owned by Jody Allen and the estate of Paul Allen.
0: <laughs> it,
1: <clears throat> it is baffling. I'm going to go Bill Simmons. I'm going to turn this NFL conversation into an NBA conversation. It, it is baffling to me that so she's a primary owner of both of these teams. It is so baffling to me that she would make the change with Pete Carroll before making the change with Chauncey Billups. So... In October of 2021, in October of 2021, it was one of Chauncey Billup's very first games as the Portland Trail Blazers head coach. The Phoenix Suns came into Portland, and the Suns had just gone to the NBA Finals. The Blazers blew them out by 30. Wow. This could be a new era in Portland. The Blazers starting lineup that game. Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Robert Covington, Norman Powell, Yusuf Nurkic. Those five names have two things in common. Number 1, none of them are Blazers anymore. Number 2, they are all playing for other playoff teams. So, we got we got they've been traded around the league. They're all in the rotation for other playoff teams. With that starting lineup, the Blazers go 30th on per possession defense on the year. Damian Lillard is injured for most of the year. That's okay. They still had a 12 and 17 record when Lillard played. So the worst per possession defense in the league, they've made improvements over that the last two years, getting a lot of defensive guys. That's okay. This year, right now, at the moment, Blazers are 30th on offense per possession in the league. So, but but from two seasons ago, we have gone, the Blazers have gone from the worst defense in the league to the worst offense in the league. Chauncey Billups, his record sits at 30, or sorry, 70 and 132. So winning about 30% of the games. He had replaced somebody who, he had replaced Terry Stotts, who had kind of replicated the last decade of Pete's career, but without the glory before it. Terry Stotts won about 55% of his games and had taken the Blazers to the playoffs in eight straight years. And it was all agreed like, yeah, Terry can only get you to the first round of the playoffs. It was the consensus at the time. And it's like, well, guess what? (laughs) The first round of the playoffs is really far away from the Blazers right now. I don't know what happens from that first blowout game to blow out a team that had just come off of the NBA Finals with guys, with that team finishes 30th in defense. You're supposed to do that with guys who like don't make it to the NBA the next year. You know, never mind guys who are, they're all playing for different playoff teams right now. So let's say I owned two yogurt lands. This is This is the analogy I've been thinking of. I own two yogurt lands and they're in two different cities. And I think it's important in this analogy that, the two different cities aren't Seattle and Portland. They're the NBA and the NFL. And let's let's say that at at one of my yogurt land, they are. And the analogy breaks down a little bit here, but they are you know the top yogurt seller in that town, or or you know they're turning a profitable day sixty percent of the time, like Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. And the other one, it's turning a profitable day thirty percent of the time. And I, and the decision is to fire the manager of the sixty percent uh,
0: yogurt land. I, listen, I mean, listen, we got to fire I one of these guys. I can't wrap my head around it. I can't <laughs> wrap my head around it. Um, the irony of everything you've just said is that the man with the nickname Mister Big Shot is 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 responsible from what you're saying to the decline of the offensive prowess of the Portland Trailblazers. Is that correct?
1: Well, first it was the defense, but now and it was like he played for one of the mentally toughest teams of all time. I, I really like, man, that was some that was some hardcore basketball. Billups played when he was a player. I don't, I don't know what I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I really. I'm not sure if the yogurt land comparison landed, but boy, did it land in my head. Yeah. And uh, I just can't, I, I, when, when I think crazy. of it that way, the decision to let go of Pete makes even less sense. Because you basically, by, by and it, it. I was looking back at it, it was kind of phrased as like a mutual parting of ways with Terry Stotts. It's like, <laughs> wouldn't you have just seen also that you you actually had two, yogurt lands that were uh profitable 60% of the time you weren't you didn't you know you wanted the other guy to be profitable 70% of the time and take you to the yogurt championships and then then you fired him but and wouldn't you have just seen like oh my gosh now that yogurt land is down to 30% of the time it, there's some value in not rocking the boat here because hey you're not going to you don't You don't just automatically, you're not an automatic 60% yogurt land, you know? I
0: don't. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to take us on one other quick trip down a rabbit hole. (laughs) Where would you rank Chauncey Billup's nickname on all time NBA nicknames? Mr. Big Shot, where does that rank in your mind? Is it a top five uh, nickname in the NBA?
1: It's it's close. I don't I don't think we're ever going to touch the human highlight reel for Dominic
0: Wilkins. Do you and is that your favorite nickname? I think so. Yeah. So my my favorite nickname, and it's mostly just because it's so insanely cool, is the truth. I think it's the craziest, coolest nickname. I think if you if you were to be told, hey, this is going to be your nickname, you would be tickled pink to learn that it's going to be like they're going to call you the truth. Like that's. Pound for pound has got to be the coolest nickname in NBA history, in my opinion.
1: That's pretty good. i I guess I'm I'm hearkening back to a little more jovial old school, you know, the human highlight film.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The I film just, or real? I think that I think he gets both. Probably real. That would make sense. Um no, I, I get your point and it's a good one, man. I mean, it's weird to think about if you're running a business that um if you're Jody that you're even thinking about like the Seahawks not being uber successful when, yeah, like, I have this other business unit that I really need to clean house. Um, I I do wonder, too, and I I don't know this exactly, but I I think we're still trying to figure out, and it hasn't been announced, if Jody plans on owning the team for a long time or if she's taking care of her brother's team still right now and that, you know, eventually it's going to be sold, Um, which if they do sell it, this is all, like, in Paul Allen's plan, like Paul Allen had a very, you know, a, a very obviously like a very well thought out estate. And my, I think my understanding is like, and this is kind of I think in tow with the way that Paul Allen's brain worked. Like, I'm pretty sure the proceeds of the Seahawks are going to go to something really cool. Like, I I think the Seahawks will probably sell for some record number, and then it'll be like, and now the Allen estate is just going to like dump, you know an extra $8 billion into cancer research or something like that. Like it could turn out to be one of the greatest turns of profit that ends up helping all of us in, in a really weird way. Like, I mean, shout out to Paul Allen, his company. I I can't remember which, or I shouldn't say company like he um, funded and was a part of the first, do you know this? The first mapping of the human brain, the first complete human brain map. Was, I did not know that was sponsored by and like done by Paul Allen's research, I think maybe with the University of Washington, but like he spearheaded the first mapping of the human mind, um, which is apparently apparently that's really important for things. I'm not I'm not going to pretend I know the implications of that, but I'm assuming when it comes to Alzheimer's research and, you know, just a lot of cool stuff that there's there's some great stuff going on there um i remember hearing that like whenever there was like an expedition or i shouldn't say whenever there was a couple of expeditions that he just told the scientists like oh yeah we'll just um outfit my yacht to do that <laughs> and like they just put a bunch of equipment on his yacht and then went out to like do like the scientific research on like you know seismic activity in the middle of the pacific or something like that really cool guy and i would just imagine that if and when jody sells this team that and I do kind of even wonder if he designed it like, hey, you can own it for as long as you want. You can do whatever you want with it. And then when it comes time to sell X amount of the proceeds are going to go to, you know, something really, really freaking cool. Because I think that's just the way his brain worked. I just I think money was kind of a a game to him to, you know, help. So interesting guy, Mr. Allen. Ah, Rest in peace. Rest in peace. But yeah, let's uh, we'll we'll have a special podcast on. Um, the mapping of the human mind and the implications of that for, you know, science and uh, and and medicine.
1: And we'll we'll power rank our favorite Microsoft software applications.
0: Yeah, for me, even though I'm not a big user of it, okay. it would be Excel. I mean, there's just no doubt. Um, so I, can we change a little bit to celebration? Can we go to celebration mode? You know, it, you Let's go to do a, it.
1: Let's do it.
0: You you, you go. It's already
1: happened. I'll, despite all my stats, they're not going to change their mind.
0: Well, and I, it's funny when you said stats and you started going through it, that my first thought was, and I know you were making an argument, but my first thought was like, that's a celebration, man. Like this is a celebration of how great of a coach this guy is. But here's here's my quick celebration mode for, for Pete. It comes from Jimmy Graham. It comes from a tweet from Jimmy Graham. Did you happen to see this tweet, Miles?
1: I was looking at Zanga a lot this week, and I kind of missed what was happening on Twitter. So you're going to have to fill me in.
0: Um, I was so, to think
1: I was looking at the wrong site. There, there's not a lot of activity on there anymore.
0: Um, you were on MySpace, and they you're still waiting on those MySpace um I'm hitting refresh messages to hit. I don't even know what they'd be called. Um, Jimmy Graham gave, put out a tweet, and I think it it describes why Pete Carroll's love so much. And I, I will start before I mention the Jimmy Graham tweet. I'll Mike Salk asked KJ Wright this year what, or this week, what makes Pete such a great coach and why do you guys love him so much and why do you trust him so much? And his response was really simple. He was like, because he loves us, because he's always there for us. And, and in fact, that's exactly what he said. Like, why are you guys and why do you guys support Pete so much? And he simply said, it's because he he has always been and will always be there for us. And he's like, I know 10 years from now, if I have a problem, if I call Pete, he'll say, Cage, what do you need? How can I help you? And like he has. Like, he didn't hesitate in that thought of like, this guy loves me, he supports me, and he's there for me. Um, when we're there for people as humans, it makes a huge difference, right? I mean, it just, it changes someone's perception of who you are in, in such a beautiful way. Here's a tweet from Jimmy Graham. I, I should pull it up so I can read it verbatim, but I, I can do a pretty good job. Jimmy mentioned in the tweet, I'm in the hospital. It's 3 a.m. and I'm being rolled out of the hospital. No one's there. You and your wife were sitting there waiting to give me a hug. I will always be grateful to you. Thank you, coach. You're, you know, and he kind of goes on with a lot of platitudes. Uh, How many, I'm not even going to make this a head coach thing. You could ask the question, how many NFL head coaches would be waiting at 3 a.m. in a hospital with their wife? So that they can be there for a human, just for a human, just for a person who is by themselves in a the hospital not to feel alone? How many anybody's would do that? Like, how many, how many dads would do that for their son? How many uh uh employers in general would ever do that for their employee? How many cousins? How many aunts? How many uncles? Uncle, your favorite uncle will probably not do that for you. Be waiting in in the hospital after you're coming out of, a, you know, it's not like you're coming out of heart surgery. You're coming out of a, like, an, I think for Jimmy, it was an Achilles surgery at the time. Like he was waiting there with his wife. I, to me, that speaks miles to who Pete Carroll is. And that that is the thesis of what everyone is saying about Pete Carroll. He was there for me. And that takes a lot of different versions of he was there for me. And I think one of the biggest ones was like he he's there for me as a human because he knows that as a human, I need support. Um, And to me, that's just a celebration of a really good, unique guy. And, you know, I think it's even more powerful that he's there with his wife. Like, like it, like Glenda didn't have to be there and she's there with Pete. Um, that's incredible. So anyway, that, I, I think you know, a platitude to Pete um, cheers to him, you know, just a really, really good man.
1: I think you're, I think Pete was the very rare coach, and he might be the only one really in football history who who understood, even at the highest level, that like football was really just like a, I don't know, like a tool to, <laughs> a tool to like experience life bigger. Yes. So I I yeah. He he it wasn't it's not that he didn't win. He he clearly did. So he did his, his he had a job to do in, in that way, but he really never lost sight of the fact that the the, the communal aspect of it and re, and really made his team feel like a tribe. And his teams feel like a tribe. It was like if you if you played for Pete, you were kind of on his tribe and it's it's a lot of it's just a lot of people. I mean, these are hundreds and hundreds of people, and of course, there's not there's not enough time to get to know them all that well. That's the thing about Pete is he would just be sad there wasn't enough time to to know everybody as well as he wanted to. So I think he, it's it's pretty rare that he both completely excelled at the football part of it, but unlike say Bill Belichick, he also never lost the fact that. It's more. It's more important than a game because it, it really changes people's lives, especially all the the men who played for them. You you had a, your footballs turned to something really life changing for you if you get up to Pete Carroll's level where he's coaching you. But um, he he knew it was a tool to kind of turn life into an adventure. And what's great. About, what's great about Pete is you know he got. I mean, this coaching career goes back to the early seventies, and you know he got absolutely everything he possibly could out of it. It's inspiring.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, another thought that I had, he talked about Richard Sherman was there. So he, they went to, so the dinner that Pete and like, I I don't know how many players were there, but the picture came out that was pretty cool. Um, But it's apparently Richard and Cam own a restaurant in Bellevue. I didn't realize that. And so they went to, it's called legions. So they went to legions for, um, for dinner that night. And, um, it occurred to me a couple of weeks ago. In fact, I think it was during Thanksgiving. Marshawn Lynch was on the Thursday night football broadcast, and um, and they're talking about, you know, basically he's saying like, you know, how much he loves the Seahawks, and Marshawn's kind of being, you know, Marshawn's being Marshawn, and but the way it started was they're asking, hey, who do you think is going to win the MVP? And Richard Sherman said, Brock Purdy. And Marshawn looked at me, he's like, excuse me? I think you're forgetting where your loyalties are, son. Like, and he literally says "That's Richard, like on the set. Like, you're forgetting where your loyalties are. I could never back a Niner. And Richard. Richard's like, well, I mean, I, well, in fact, uh, I think one of the other guys is like, well, you know, he was a, a Niner, Marshawn. And Marshawn's like, I don't care. Where does ring come from? Where did he say? Where, where'd you get your bowls at? Like, well, that was his his response to Richard. And Richard was like, "They cut me," speaking about the Seahawks. And and Marshawn just shook his head. and He's like, "Bro, that's just the business. Like, that's just that's just the business." I say all of that to say, I wonder if a moment like this, because it certainly made me think of it, and I know it took. Richard a while to forgive Pete and for them to start communicating again. I wonder if a moment like this is almost a bit of a shocker to Richard too, of like, oh, Pete can get fired too. Like it's not, it's not just like this idea of like, oh, Pete fired me, whatever. Like, no, like Pete's also fighting for his job over the last 14 years. It's not as though he's an owner. It's not as though Pete and ownership are one and the same. It's all a layered system and Pete this whole time when he, when they decide to move on from Richard it's because it's like, yeah, we got to do whatever it takes to win. And just this idea of like, Oh, Pete was not bulletproof either. And now Richard and Pete have both been fired from the same organization. You know, I just think it's kind of an interesting little layer. And of course, Marshawn is 100% correct. Like from Marshawn's perspective, it's like, yeah, man, that's the business, bro. Like, none of us are bulletproof. Like that's, that's how this thing works. Um, We're like, Sherm hasn't had never, I don't think experience being in an organization where a coach would be fired. Like if you think about it, I think this is correct. Richard Sherman's played for two organizations. Correct. He's played for Kyle Shanahan and he's played for Pete Carroll. So he's on Harbaugh in
1: college. And then he hopped on the Buccaneers for a second.
0: So, but, but he's had like all yeah. stability in his career, you know, yeah, yeah, yes. like, a like incredible stability, yeah. like from a, and I just mean stability, like front office and head coach in lockstep. Um, yes, and lockstep. Yes. And I think, and I not to put, and Richard is a very intelligent dude, like not to put words in his mouth, but I, I would think if I'm, if I'm trying to empathize with Richard and, and trying to understand his perspective, I would think that that it would be a bit of a shocker of like, even though he knows that all to be true. It's still like w- reality sets in a little differently when it's like, oh, Pete got fired by the same company that fired me like both of their paychecks at Seattle Seahawks, you know, and now neither of them are getting paychecks from Seattle Seahawks. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. Another fun tidbit. I, I, you didn't hear the interview, so I think this is kind of cool that Pete shared. He um He said that he was walking out um, of the restaurant at the end of the night and Richard Sherman and and, um, Russell Wilson were like in the hallway talking to each other like one on one. And uh, Richard looks at him and he's like, look what had to happen to get us talking again. Like, which I thought is like, what a what a cool moment in like their little world where it's like, look what had to happen to get us like to communicate again with each other, man. Like, here we are, like we're talking and, you know, pretty. I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall that night. Like just a lot of alpha dogs just hanging out and talking.
1: How do you think they were able to get a reservation for a party that big? In the, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, no, that, that that's an all-time moment. That's a very rare moment for that to happen
0: so quickly. I'm like going to try to be- go to Legions, by the way. In fact, I'm going to try to get Legions to to sponsor the podcast.
1: Oh, I was I was gonna say what I was gonna say about that was why do you guys gotta stay on the east side, man? You,
0: they, you, they're too used to the east side, the Seahawks. Ultimately, yeah. well, Bellevue's <laughs> the on. new Seattle, yeah. Apparently, <laughs> ouch. Um, but that's what it seems. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know what? What a cool, what a cool guy. I'll, I'll say this in uh, at least in conclusion from my side of it. Like I mentioned, you know, I, I really think of Pete. I don't know if this sounds stupid or not. It, it probably does. I consider him a mentor I've never met. And I, I don't know how to make sense of that because I've never had anyone, quote unquote, in my life like that. Um, and I have a lot of great mentors in my life and, and people that are rooting and, and competing for me. But no one has made me rethink the way that I approach my daily life more than Pete Carroll. I think that's true. Like he he has had a massive impact on my life from afar. Um, I, I, my, my eyes watered multiple times this last week because I respect him so much and I really do think he's a great man. And, um, and, and to your point, I wish he could have gone out on exactly his terms. I wish it could have been exactly him writing the final chapter. Um, but I don't think there's any way to describe Pete Carroll better than the fact that he said, in his final press conference. All right, now it's on Johnny and I'm here to support Johnny. Like I'm here to support John Schneider as he continues to move this thing forward. It's, it's almost, it's not almost, it is remarkable how he is able to do that. Like mentally, how he's able to not be bitter or at least, at least publicly, not be bitter, not be not hold on to a grudge just to say, okay, now I need to support my friend because John Schneider is my friend and he has a hard job. And now I'm going to support him, even though I'm not part of the org anymore. Um, It just it it speaks volumes to the kind of guy he is. And if, if you jump on Twitter, you can see 30 or 40 or 50 different tweets from different dudes across the league saying how much they love and respect him and how much playing for him made a big impact in their lives. Um, Pretty cool, man. I mean, if if I can have a legacy like that in my life, I'll be very, very happy with it, you know? And so I think he's a great role model for all of us. And it, you know, to your point in a world where coaches say a lot of different things, I think Pete, Pete really did want to get to helping people be the best versions of themselves and football was one of the avenues in which he did that which um we live in a pretty myopic world football's a pretty myopic sport the fact that he was able to to do that and also still want to win really badly is is kind of shocking like it's 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 incredible so um yeah absolutely love Pete Carroll bummed that he's not going to be our head coach anymore um excited to see where he, where he goes next i think he's going to make a big impact in this world still so um yeah, that's what I got.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. No, we 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 should wrap it up right there. I, I totally agree that even though historically I haven't followed the Seahawks as closely as you, it is he is he is still an inspiring person, and and uh, especially his his sense of of optimism. It it really uh, it just changes the he has just the energy with which he moves through the world and the optimism he had, you know, even in these really weird late last weeks ends up being the last few weeks of his coaching career that, that optimism didn't stop. And, and, uh, yeah, that's what I, when you talk about being a mentor, you never met that. That's what I think of like, man, even, even in the world of professional athletics where you have to have quite a, you have to have you have to have a really good sense that things will go right, you know, everybody out there. And, and he stood out above everybody just in terms of his confidence in his people that things would go right for them in the games and in their life. And, uh, yeah, it this, you don't, you, you, I wonder how many times in the history of all sports where it's like, when a coach moves on or a player moves on that the impact was so great and so profound that you end up not, not mentioning any that you you just leave the game entirely. You have to like, cause the impact was so beyond it. You have to really think about like, yeah, it's, it's not like you're taking away. Ah, oh, this is how you diagnose the, whatever you're, you're, you're taking away from him how to, how to live your life, which is, which is awesome. I'll really miss him. I'll really miss him.
0: You're either competing or you're not. There it is. There's the Pete Carroll. There's a great Pete Carroll.
1: And you know what? Maybe I'm not competing as a podcaster, but let me say this. I'd love to see Pete start competing in the podcast space. A boy with that.
0: There's a competition. I I welcome it. There's a competition. Um, Well, man, uh, apparently we don't hate each other. So we were able to get through this whole podcast without coming to blows. Um, yeah. You know, how do you end an episode like this? Just, just thank you, Pete. How about that? Pete Carroll, if you ever happen to listen to this man, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Um, you've made a massive impact on my life. Um, been following you and listening to you for a long time. When you became the head coach of the Seahawks, I picked up um, uh, your, uh, your book always compete, um, or win forever. I'm sorry. I, it really screwed it up there. Not even remembering the title of the book, but immediately read win forever and took notes on, on getting my personal philosophy down and who I want to be and where I want to go as a person. Um, and then saw you live that out for the last 14 years. and, And I hope to continue to follow and watch. Um, and just a random dude that you've never met, you'll never meet, thank you. You've made a huge impact on my life. So that's it. That's, that's, uh, my, my, my little closing statement.
1: Beautiful, beautiful.
0: I'm not, we can't say go Hawks here. I think it's, uh, thank you, Pete. I think that's how we end the podcast.
1: Yes. Thank Thank you, Pete.